This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. This week, Sam Selikoff and I talk about our transition from bundled batteries included frameworks like Rails to unbundled choose your own adventure libraries like React. Sam has an incredible podcast that you should totally check out at frontendfirst.fm, where he and Ryan Toronto talk about the nitty gritty of daily product development for front end developers. After you listen and enjoy this chat, you should catch up on their show. This episode is sponsored by Infinite Red and Imagix. Unprocessed images kill performance. Frontend teams will optimize single kilobytes out of their JavaScript bundles only to throw away performance with large, unoptimized images that, despite their size, still look bad on many devices. Imagix helps you deliver sharp, snappy images to customers with powerful image processing and a simple API. Here's how it works. You put your master image on Imagix. Get it there manually or via build step. Now reference those images in your product to have Imagix tune and optimize them perfectly for presentation on web and mobile devices. That plus their global CDN make Imagix worth it, but they also give you a simple API for customizing images via URL. I can only describe this as Imagix turning your image tags into a declarative Photoshop. You get basics like size, crop, position, etc., as well as creative APIs like filters, blend modes, text and watermark overlays, and hundreds more. Follow the lead of Unsplash, Kickstarter, and Prismic, who use Imagix because they know the importance of image optimization to user experience. Get a $300 account credit at imagix.com slash reactpodcast. That's imagix, I-M-G-I-X, dot com slash reactpodcast. Working with Infinite Red gives you access to developers who know the direction React and React Native are headed. This is a superpower. It's the power of sight. It means you spend more time delighting customers with quality software and less time rebuilding your entire app because you picked a short-sighted state management library. Infinite Red have been designing, building, and shipping quality apps for over 10 years and make their expertise and industry connections available to you. Infinite Red will give you $750 when you start or refer a new project. So, to get expert help, visit reactpodcast.infinite.red. Sam Selikoff, welcome to React Podcast. Chantastic. Do people just not even know your name because they you just know, see you and they say Chantastic? <laughs> <laughs> I try really hard to avoid actually using my name. I don't know where that came from, but like I do. And I'm always surprised when people online actually call me Michael. It's kind yeah. of it's kind it of weird. weird. It's like, <laughs> like I expect yeah. my family to do that, but then everyone else is just like, it's like Chan or like Chantastic. And cool. I f- it feels almost like a violation, right? When someone's like, hey, Michael. I'm like, yeah. What? Do I, you look are we related? You and you see Chan or Chantastic. So Chantastic, <laughs> awesome to be here, man. Thank you so much for reaching out. I've been uh, I've been looking forward to meeting you. Actually, we've had some interactions online yeah. over the years, but uh, you know this is this is the best we got during COVID. But this is pretty cool. So it's it's awesome to be here, man. Yeah, well, I'm super happy to have you on. And you know, like you said, we've been kind of like on the edges of each other's circles for a while, and it's been fun to talk more with you lately. Um, but I think like. 
I, we were trying to figure this out like before we actually started the the call side or like the the podcast part of this, but it was like somewhere around like Ember like original Emberconf days is maybe when we were like kind of around each other's spheres. Is that right? Definitely. So like I got basically into programming around 2012 and okay. was in Boston and found Ember through Dockyard. And yeah. um, that's kind of when I went all in on Ember for, for a while. And around that time, you know, Ryan Florence and then like the folks on JavaScript Jabber, like um, yep. Jameson and all, all these people. And, and I think you were in that, that crew, like you all kind of knew each other, like uh, Brandon Hayes, like all, all these people kind of knew each other and were writing about front end JavaScript online. We're like circling around and I got in just like a year l- late and I never saw a lot of those people uh, at the actual <laughs> conference, even though I've had lots of interactions with them uh since online so it's kind of funny like the world felt a lot smaller back then you know oh man yes (laughs) absolutely it truly did it felt way smaller like so i'm trying to think was it 2013 was that like the first EmberConf, or was that 2014 i I think like yeah i think i think probably ember uh, 2012 was like ember camp or something and so maybe the first ember comp was 2013 and then maybe the second one which was my first one was in 2014 i think something like that Oh, man, man. Yeah, it's true. Those (laughs) feel like the days. It was like, I feel like back then, it still felt like um, front end was this thing that like just a handful of people really cared about. Like there were a bunch of nuts who like really wanted to like make really great user experiences and want to wanted to build applications kind of from, you know, flows or components first instead of building them from like the database first. Yeah. And that was fun (laughs) yeah totally it was fun it was like you had it was a mix of like the wannabe native ui developers who like (laughs) were envious of like all this really cool ui tech that was coming out um because it had only been like four or five years with the iphone out and so it's funny it feels like so old long ago but I still feel like I'm a new front-end development developer just because, I don't know, things change fast and yeah. there's so many technologies. But you had those people, but then you also had these people with this really deep background doing open source web stuff. And so, you know, a lot of really bright people in this space and that's that's really what attracted me to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to talk about your like style because I feel like even back then, you had incredible production value and like all your stuff, we're going to talk about like, you you know, your podcast and your YouTube channel and like all the stuff that you're doing. Um, But like, you've always had a really distinct look. I remember seeing some of the first like Ember map videos just being like, this is amazing. Like this is exactly what like educational content like should look like. They're just these quick, like little like snippet videos. They're incredible. Um, So like what, I guess you said you got into programming around 2012, and I'm curious, like, what your background was before that that kind of positioned you to do that kind of like really cool, um, like visual stuff that you've been doing. Yeah, well, I really appreciate the kind words, man. Thank you. Um, I uh, before I fell into programming, I was thought I was going to be a professor, and so I've been basically teaching most of my career, you know, oh, most nice. of my life. I mean, starting with like working at Kaplan and tutoring the GRE in college. And then up through thinking I was going to be a professor going to grad school. So um, a lot of this has been like me trying to figure out how to make a career out of teaching. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I love the web and the fact that we can reach so many more people than like academic economists can reach writing some (laughs) obscure journal article for (laughs) 10 other people in the world. So um, the video stuff is just I, I just felt like that was some of the most effective ways 
to reach people and to communicate these these ideas. Um, and then I guess the quality thing is just, I don't know, it's just, um, you know, I, I think one of the reasons I fell into front-end development, like I learned programming, I learned, you know, I started with Symfony and like Perl stuff, but then quickly really fell in love with JavaScript and Backbone and then Ember. And, and for me, it was because I liked the design and the polish yeah. and the UI and how that crosses over. So um, I always like polish and I'm drawn to people who, who put a lot of effort into polish and I feel like it speaks well of, of the other parts of the work that they do. If, if someone puts a polished product out there and they spend a lot of time on that, it is often a sign that they spend a lot of time on the inner sides as well. So, um, yeah, that was always just kind of our, uh, you know, uh, my goal. And then, and then eventually our goal when we started Embermap. It's really interesting that you say that we're like as front end developers, we're kind of like wannabe native developers. And I do <laughs> think that's so true. Like, the, <laughs> like there's this huge chip on our shoulder maybe. And like, <laughs> it's like, we always want to prove that like we can do it. We can deliver like similar or better experiences on the web. And it just takes so much effort um, to actually make that happen. <laughs> Well, I mean, you really, when you start doing this front end stuff, you get such an appreciation for the constraints that we face because we just, yeah. we don't have the luxury of starting out with 50 megabytes of code on the user's device. And so, you know, when Ember started doing the server side rendering stuff and uh, Tom Dale was talking a lot at conferences about like bending this trade-off curve between like the fast initial render and like the rich subsequent interactions, yeah. that's really where it kind of crystallized in my mind about how difficult this problem is. And, um, you know, the stuff with like Next.js these days is just like blowing my mind. So I feel <laughs> like we are learning a lot, but you know, constraints can be a good thing. And yeah, I think, I think in a lot of ways we've, we've, we've come really, really far. Do you feel like it takes kind of a, a certain personality to like want to be involved in this stuff? Cause I think there is maybe this notion of like, well, masochist. <laughs> yeah, like, are you a little, are, are we a little masochistic? Right. Cause you know, it would be easier if like, if we really wanted to just make great UI is like to just do them on like, you know, use Swift UI and like get a lot of stuff for free and then really like obsess over the, like the real, the, the nitty gritty details. Whereas like for us, it's like we spend so much time just thinking about how to shave off like bytes and like how we're going to do that, like server rendering, client side mm -hmm. handoff, rehydration, all that kind of stuff. Um, like, I don't know, this, <laughs> this is a very philosophical question, but like, I'm curious, like, do you feel like at the end of the day, it's like actually worth it? Or is it something that we just get excited about it because we're maybe masochistic a little bit? I think a lot of us are drawn to this because we feel like we have ownership in the direction of innovation and so a lot of the people are you know writing the or contributing to the specification of how javascript evolves or um like new abstractions in the language that will help us with things like promises like i was started programming before promises were a thing and then you think about distribution and ownership and just open source in general like i've never done native development but people i've talked to say like the open source uh level of collaboration is just nowhere near what it is in web so you know the fact that i can just create a library in like one command set up like testing on ci publish yeah. it to npm and you can start using it and it's like going to auto test and auto deploy and we have version like we think a lot about versioning and how to share code i think all of that stuff makes us take ownership in it and that's what we're drawn to about it and like yeah maybe if you were just optimizing for like fastest time to polish ui following 
you know, Apple's guides and using Swift UI might give you an incredible experience. But I think because we're we're kind of like builders, we see ourselves like builders and yeah. like we're shaping the future of it. So I think that might be part of it. That's absolutely fascinating. That sounds right on to me, like to, to be honest. Like, and I think that, you know, some of these closed platforms, it's like, you know, like a, you know, like Swift UI or, you know, Apple devices and whatever, you're really making a product, but you don't have any ownership over like how it's made necessarily. Like you can customize it and tweak it and maybe like ask for certain things at, w- at WWDC every year. All right. But you're right. There is a level of ownership over like the web and like standards and it feels kind of, you know, spunky. Uh, you know, even though it's been around for a really long time, it feels a little bit more like punk rock and raw, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And like, I do love Apple. Like, I'm a huge Apple fanboy. Like, yeah, same. Uh, and and so I love the idea of like a polished product that's like closed in a sense for the for the sake of convenience and for the sake of yep. like interoperability. But there is something about, you know, the open source stuff that I also really love. And, um, you know, I learned so much at the beginning of my career through open source, I realized very quickly that open source is the best way to level up as a developer because all the best practices just bubble to the top. Like bad practices can't really withstand, you know, thousands of developers looking at them. So if the question is how to organize code or how to do testing or how to build a 12 factor app, blah, 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 like you're just gonna learn all this stuff. And then if you're at a company that doesn't do this stuff, you're just going to like zoom ahead of them. And so, yeah. you know, that was just, and I just learned so much from, you know, Yahoo Cats and all these other leaders in the OSS world that um, that that's kind of why I fell in love with it. So it'd be tough for me to, to you know, it'd be interesting to, to give Swift UI a try and, and all that stuff. But um, there's just so many cool people in like web tech, right? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I totally, I, I, a hundred percent, I hundred percent agree. But I do wonder that sometimes, like, like, do I like the pain? Like, is that what draws me to this? To problem? a fault. Yeah. 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 Because I am. I mean, cer- certainly, we are guilty of like you know wheel reinventing or thinking <laughs> like the smallest problem with an existing abstraction makes the whole yeah. thing not worth it, and we need to start from scratch as opposed to just you know moving forward to more together, and so. Um, but you know, you also can never know when like the next really good abstraction with like a really clean boundary that we're going to build upon is going to come next. So I don't know. Innovation is messy, you know? It is. It is. It takes, it takes all types, right? Like it takes these people who are kind of like really want to be like close to the metal. And then also people who are just like so far out, Mm -hmm. like to really kind of like define the next patterns that are going to be, uh, you know, kind of like trickle down. Right. Um, now you've been doing a lot on online and I want to make sure that we kind of like properly shout out to all of that because I actually today I, I, I took a little bit of extra time because I was like, I was like, okay, Sam's production value on like his podcast and YouTube and his like videos and stuff are like just so good. Like I'm going to have to like turn the light on. I'm going to have to like fire up like the camera, put a oh, shirt yeah. on. <laughs> And then I show up here just with my webcam on because I'm in this mode, man, for the last month because of COVID. I've just been, I've been like, I'll be honest. I was about to say half checked out. I'm basically completely checked out. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm maintaining things and I'm working on things, but uh, it's, it's been a good summer to, to relax a little bit. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I do not have everything set up here because I had just pulled down all my lights and stuff, but yeah, yeah. I appreciate the shout out. <laughs> well, I, I hear you, man. Like the, uh, I've been uh I thought like kind of when COVID started, I was like, okay, now's my chance. Like I'm pretty introverted. Like we're just going to like, I'm just going to 
just crush stuff right now and like no it's like the opposite i like i oh, could man. barely get motivated and it's like i'm just playing like i got super into destiny the like nice video game from i, I got know, into like witcher 3 i sunk like 100 <laughs> hours at the beginning of covid into witcher 3 is completely <laughs> absurd <laughs> and we all think we're introverts until we're literally not allowed to see anybody and then you realize just how much of an introvert you really are and uh, totally so once yeah the, it's once, like, I, I feel like I picked up the video game habit just so I could like hang out with friends and stuff. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's crazy. Destiny is awesome though. But yeah, like a month ago, the restaurant's kind of half opened here in New York. And so I've yeah. just been like getting away from the computer as much as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> I know there'll be plenty of time to come back, but uh, yeah, need, need beach time, need fun yeah. outdoor New York time. It's been beautiful here. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about, I know that you have um, some really cool videos on YouTube that have have explored your process of kind of going from, you know, Ember and learning all the things that you need to know to build sites with Next and um, and that kind of stuff. And you've been covering um, some similar topics on Frontside FM, um, or mm-hmm. sorry, frontendfirst.fm. Um, Frontside. Frontside. That's, that's, that's a, a, that is the, you, it's, you just triggered a neural connection yeah, because was, of... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the company from uh, uh, Brandon and Chris. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, why did that Back come in the into my, That's my great. brain? It was just like, they were like <laughs> linked. In the <laughs> Those are good guys though. Um, good guys. Real good guys. Real good guys. But yes. Uh, um, yeah, so front end first, you've been ca- kind of covering some of these same topics and just kind of really, um, in a really fascinating and kind of like illuminating way, talking about your experience, actually building these things and coming from, um, you know, like, you know, more full stack frameworks like um, React or even like fuller, front-end frameworks like ember yeah um so tell me a little bit about that process kind of like the things that you want to explore and share in those um videos and podcasts yep so yeah me and my business partner ryan and friend ryan uh, toronto we run embermap.com and that still is going on today we still make videos and we have plenty of customers over there still learning ember and all the new stuff coming there but um about a year ago we actually decided to work on moving one of our open source projects mirage to make it framework agnostic and so uh in doing that we wanted to kind of get some reps in with react and view and you know svelte and just try out um these things and we had over the years like vicariously by like following you know you guys and michael jackson and ryan florence and all, all these folks because we had that shared background, you know, they did have the rails background or the Ember background. And so they would kind of make those connections there. And so that made it really easy. And so, um, a little more than a year ago when we started really diving into it, it was, it was just about, yeah, like, let's see what it's like to really build something and, and try to expose that learning process and, um, wanted a way to share those, share that. And naturally like we've been making videos for three years. So, um, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to start, putting these on YouTube basically. And just, you know, I've just been having fun with it. So I started doing that, like, I don't know, earlier this year, probably a little after COVID started. Um, and, um, yeah, so that's basically the story. And, you know, some of the videos are like technical tutorials, but some of them are just like reflections that I've had coming from a more batteries included side and also seeing how my experience with something like Ember and the architecture that it gives you uh, has influenced how I build React apps because a lot of it is, a lot of it I just carry over. So I feel yeah. like in in a, in a lot of ways, Ember made me, like gave me a head start on React, you know? I was um, talking about this with some folks at a conference, like, 
before I really started going heavy on learning React. Um, and I was like sitting at this table with like these React developers. Folks had been doing it for a while and they were good. And like um, they were like talking about how frustrating it was to get like routes working and to get your state <laughs> synced with routes. And routing has always been one of Ember's big strengths. In fact, it was like one of the talking points when they first started was they were like evangelizing how important the URL was to yeah. the web. And, yep. um, you know, in Ember, like they kind of nudge you very heavily towards like building route based applications. Whereas, yep. especially in React in the earlier days before things like Gatsby and Next had those conventions for you, or um, when you would have to like use React Router on your own and understand it, a lot of folks would say, Oh, I just like can use this state to like show a login component and otherwise <laughs> yeah. show a home component. Then you're like, well, you can't send a link to a login component. And then like, there's all these ramifications, right. For how you're thinking about structuring your app. So that's like, that's one example of like a hundred that I could go through where, you know, um, just thinking in terms of how Ember architected things helped me navigate this really complex, sometimes fragmented world that react is in, right. While still being able to learn these, these smaller primitives. It's really fascinating because I, I, the way you talk about it has a lot of reverence and I feel the same amount of reverence as well, right? Like I feel like, you know, Rails did a really good job of kind of like connecting. I've always said it like it does a really good job of kind of like connecting HTTP to like a database, right? Like that's the the beauty of Rails is that kind of like honored both of those those things and then built a framework around that idea. Mm-hmm. And Ember... Ember really protected more than anything, like the public service of Ember was to protect the importance of the URL. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you've said that. And, you know, I remember feeling that way as well, like just feeling like, yes, like the URL is still important. Like we have to hold on to this thing. It can't just be like a slash and then like all of the state. A whole app, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that is critically important. And frameworks like ember like actually provide that for you and they provide the mechanisms to think about your application in those terms like the and you know i still think about things in the the rails you know like yeah you know show new create destroy right. like right those right actions, resourceful right? nouns you know yes. there's so many lessons that carry over i mean a lot of times the way i think about this stuff is just like in like product development startups which is like bundling or unbundling right if you hear people talk about new companies it's like you're either bundling or you're unbundling. So um, <laughs> that's all it is if you think about it. So like, what's an example of like a really good, you know, like uh, Gmail is like the interface and the chat and the to-do app. It's all right there. Yep. And then like things comes out and it's just you're unbundling one feature from Gmail and you're building a company around it, right? And then you have lots of this unbundling happening and then people like that there's a tool that does one thing very well. Um, but then there is a frac- there's a fragmentation and you start feeling the burden of like, oh, I use things for my to-do and this for my chat and this for my <laughs> video and this for my email. What I really want is one place. So then you have like a Slack come on which is like a bun a rebundling where it's pulling yeah. in chat and file sharing and posts and stuff like that so in a lot of ways you can simplify like you know product development uh in just the general marketplace of like as like bundling and unbundling and i think the same kind of thing happens in tech where uh ember was trying to bundle together a lot of the ideas because we were frustrated with the fragmentation of oh i need backbone but then there's no like rendering layer so yeah. i'll use this cobbled together with jQuery UI and then I need a model layer so I'll use like marionette or something so like we're frustrated because it's too unbundled ember comes along bundles it we like that they're talking about these ideas and solving the whole problem but then like 
in some way, this is like an oversimplification, but in some ways, Ember was like right in theory and wrong in practice. Like uh, it, it was too ambitious. It like took on so much that there was such a big surface area. People would get frustrated when they ran up against those walls. And then so we see an unbundling where React comes out is just the view layer. Okay, now let's solve the state layer. It's Redux. Okay, let's start the routing layer. We have React Router or, you know, different ideas there. And so, and then Vue comes along and it's like kind of rebundling things, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And now Next and Gatsby are kind of bundling things as well. So this, I, I just think you will just keep seeing this. And, but but things get better over time, like, yeah. um, because those boundaries are more clear, you know? Yeah, it is. It is interesting. I, I, to be honest, this is the first time I've actually heard that term of like bundling and unbundling. And probably because I'm not like really connected with like the, you know, business side or like, you know, Silicon Valley, like products and whatnot. But it, it's super fascinating because I feel like we've all felt that, you know, and, and a lot of people who are attracted to view, it's because it's it is more batteries included. Right. They don't want to make so many decisions. Yeah. 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 And I can definitely empathize with that. Um, but at the same time, like it, it, having come from it, it's almost like wherever your starting point is. Right. Like like if you like really love a band, it's like your favorite album is the band that like you got introduced like to. Yes. And I feel like for a lot of us who've been like doing this for a while, it's like kind of like for all of its faults or whatever, like I still love rails right yeah and like i can't not think about things in terms of rails and it's hard for me to imagine like how would you even build an app you know without this without concepts of like you know collections lists you yeah know, and yep. show pages and yeah it is interesting how, how there's this kind of like cyclical nature to these things where it's like you know you you bundle them together and then you have to pull them apart and then you bundle them together again and it's always kind of usually like in service of some type of maybe new construct or new like idea that needs to be brought to life. Yeah, I I think um, I mean I'm a huge fan of Rails too, and I think DHH does a really good job of being clear about yeah. his values and articulating like why he does the things he does. Yeah. If folks are interested in this part of the conversation, I made a YouTube video called React as a programming language for UIs, where I basically talk about this because when I um, started learning React, I was frustrated that. I felt like I was using a tool that was way too low level for building an app and I wanted something that, you know, was going to get me farther faster. But I think if you go back and look at why React was created and the problems it was trying to solve and the values of the people who work on React, it starts to make a lot more sense. So sure. I'm like you. I share a lot of those values that that DHH has talked about, you know, the Apple like values of like a cohesive story. But honestly, like really over the last year of just trying to let go of some of those biases and like really <laughs> just like let myself say, okay, what if I just, it's going to be lower level, but like you have these moments where you have a reference point in the past where you're working on a Rails app and like you're typing has many, you're typing like this Rails DSL to like get something <laughs> to work and it's not, you're not coding. You, you yeah. basically can build a Rails app w without coding. It's like, yeah. it's like a DSL for building apps and you just <laughs> look at the docs and you do it and it's incredible how far you can get without knowing how anything works. And yep. when you listen to Sebastian, Mark Beige or Dan Abramov talk about React, that's not how they think about React at all. Yep. Uh, they actually say like, uh, Dan said this thing that that he he said I like hooks because they actually expose more of what React really is. So the idea is like we want to give you more power and um, give you like sharper primitives because um, you know while higher level APIs can be more powerful 
and let you do more without understanding it. There are those times where you run into those cases, you have no idea what's going on. And you're like, I just want to <laughs> write some code, you know? Yeah. So that was the idea behind that video anyways. But I, I see it come up again and again. Yeah. And I, I have that resistance in myself where I say, you know, um, why isn't this just done for me? Like, why isn't there a 404 page built in and I have to learn how to do this? Like, you know, Laravel is another example. Laravel came out of, you know, who, who would have thought like a new PHP framework would come out <laughs> right? and have <laughs> more me. like popularity than Rails in like the 2010s, you know? But, but again, if you listen to the values of, of Taylor, they're going to sound a lot like the values of DHH and um, it's very batteries included. So I think it's important to, to understand the values of the, of the people that that made the tool that you're using and understand the problems it was designed to solve because yeah. that's going to have that's going to be how you get the most out of it. I think it's really interesting that you you mention uh Laravel because it's so true. I think that like anything that you're like really passionate about there's going to be other people that are passionate about it and like I would never have guessed like a PHP framework in the like 2010s to like now would be like so beloved and it is. Oh yeah, it's crazy. I I want to be a PHP developer just because <laughs> you know th this community is really awesome. And I'm like, yeah, I have never even written a line of Laravel. You know, <laughs> I last line of PHP I wrote was like Symphony whatever version I was on right. in 2011 or 20, 2012, I guess. And um, but uh, it's really cool. You know, it's the, the they they have the values, but they have the execution on the values as well. So it, it yeah. lines up. Um, yeah. Now, Sean Wang um, Swix online, mm -hmm. he kind of talks about how, and I don't know, I, I don't know if he was just like retweeting this or whatever, but I know that I heard it from him, this idea that, you know, React is a very like low level type of library. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're starting to see like distributions almost of it. Mm -hmm. So you have like Next, you have Gatsby, you have like other things that are kind of like taking that low level thing and actually turning it into a framework. Um, I guess, you know, like Blitz and Redwood are mm -hmm. also kind of like in that space where it's like, we're trying to make more and more of that, or I guess to use the language we've been talking about, like rebundling, right? And right, using right, React it's like bundling them. Part of that, yeah. Um, and I'm kind of curious, like, how do you feel about like some of the things that have been coming to place? I know that you've been using um, Next a lot. Like, does it get you, does it feel like it strikes the right balance or would you still like to see more of those like concepts kind of like, you know, Rails has like the, the really strict application design concepts? Yeah, I think my perspective on this over the last, you know, seven years has changed. I, I think at the beginning, I, be I believed more this idea that if you don't tackle the whole problem, then you aren't going to be able to to solve it all together. Mm. So your data library needs to understand your routing so that you can un you can do the caching right. And so when you visit a route, the data layer or, or whatever knows that it's already been there and it can reuse the query and, and all this stuff. And there are benefits you get when all the pieces know more about each other. But I think mm -hmm. the big shift in my thinking here has been that it's like design by, by like top down design is like very hard and this stuff yeah. is very hard and like finding those correct boundaries is is difficult so i i think the way i think those higher level apis are still the goal but i think the way to get there is through lower level tinkering and experimentation and so um for me like it's been a big shift but you know in the last year i've we've done like client work and we've built like mirage.js.com with gatsby and then i've also been doing a lot of next and 
you know, I think me of five years ago would have been like, oh, Gatsby is great. Like I need to bring something in. I just install Gatsby plugin. Boom, it works. Yeah. And, um, and next makes you learn all this code and all these, ho- these things <laughs> you have to do, which feels like they should come out of the box. But, you know, recently you're also kind of catching me at the height of my like next fanboyism right now. Cause <laughs> oh, I just sure, had sure. <laughs> some amazing experiences and they've been shipping like insanely awesome features yeah. so fast. So, you know, uh, things that would have frustrated me about working with a tool like next. Um, now I'm like, no, this is right. Like they are, yeah. you know, they're, they're doing these smaller things and it's very clear like what their domain is and, and what, what they consider part of their responsibility and not. So like, you know, Gatsby has like an image component, uh, that helps you like serve images. Like next doesn't have that, but it's like, again, past me would have been like, why don't you come with a nice image component? But now it's like <laughs> next is focused on like, helping you architect your app in a way and fetch data in a way that's going to make it fast and like help you scale up and not run into like all, a lot of issues that people who have been building SPAs yeah. for years have. And that's like what they're tackling. And so there is like a, a react image component library out there and you can find it. And yeah, w- would it be nice if it was just like part of next? I, I guess so. And maybe one day it will be, but that's like the trade-off that they're making. And I think it's a, I think it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Now, what do you think of, and I don't have a lot of experience with this, but I know that there's some kind of uh, nascent frameworks out there kind of that build on top of Next. I think Blitz is one of these. And it kind of tries to marry, you know, Next as like, again, like kind of like a stepping stone, a lower level, like thing with some higher level concepts, you know, brought in a lot from Rails. Um, Does that sound like at the place that you're in right now, does that sound kind of like interesting to you? Or have you been enjoying owning more of the problem than when you were working with something like Ember? I think I've been enjoying owning more of it. And, and the, the Blitz stuff and the Redwood stuff, you know, we talked to Tom on our, our podcast from uh, Redwood. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. We went through the, the startup guide and did feel kind of like doing a Rails app. But like you have prisma you have like a database stuff like also i'm in this point where like i don't want to write back in code anymore man like i have written i've written too many like request specs and controller code for rails and like that always feels like the most menial like least value added part of my job and so you know we had like a really amazing experience with firebase a couple years ago and and so these days i'm like going back into that and learning about hasur and seeing how far i can get without writing a line of backend code so that's one part of it but the other part is just like again i think it's the higher level point is like going back to like being about being humble about what we know and what boundaries we think are right and not trying to take off too not trying to bite off too big of a part of the problem because it's yeah. just really hard and so I want to bet on things that are clear about their boundaries and that have a good community and that aren't trying to overreach maybe um you know community is so important in open source and yeah. what tools you you choose because the community has a huge effect on how long lasting it is, how it's going to grow over time, whether you're investing in something that's going to last. Um, so for me, a tool like next feels like a much more appeasing, like bet, uh, thing to invest my time on. Um, because I mean, they're having like a conference now and it's, there's a company that's, that's backed is backing it, but it's also, again, it's like those boundaries that it has. It's solving one part of the problem very well. And uh, you can see how it fits in with the rest of the pieces. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny, like as much as I love Rails and would totally use it for a project, um, there's a class of things that like I kind of like the free, like you're talking about. I like the freedom of being able to solve the whole problem in in Next. And like, yeah, maybe sometimes you shoot yourself in the foot, but um, that freedom is also kind of like 
exciting <laughs> in a way. Yeah. The, I think the other thing about Rails that for me like uh, ca- counteracts some of this these forces is the fact that it's used to power Basecamp, which has been around and <laughs> yeah. and 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 it's not going anywhere, and it's a big big app that they work on all the time. So I'm a big believer in this idea that like the best open source is extracted, not designed. Yeah. So when people try to architect something from up high on the clouds and they come down with a tabernacle of the new framework <laughs> from the, that's from their mind as opposed to from boots on the ground experience yeah i you know color me skeptical right so um you know redwood i think is is being used for for their new startup which is cool um but it's still it's still new whereas like yeah. rails was literally extracted um years after they started yeah. and uh and then again, also investing in that community. So I think if there was a bigger tool, but it was like, we, I mean, that's one of the reasons why React is so robust and why why it nailed yeah. the boundaries because it went through all these iterations early on. It's like, oh, we've been using this at Facebook for years. Let's yep. share it with you. It's not going anywhere, you know, yeah. and so on. So I, I think that's another one of my values that I think is important that I've gotten from some of these, you know, open source leaders is like the value of code being extracted rather than designed. Yeah, and I think that brings up an interesting point is is that, you know, sometimes choosing a framework based on who is it, like what product it's being extracted from um, is not a bad place to start. Like if you're like if you're building a business or whatnot, like if you have a business that looks like Basecamp, like building something on Rails is going to maybe be like a pretty good bet, you know, versus like if you're building a social network, like, you know maybe React and GraphQL is probably going to be your best bet because it's like, you know, battle tested for exactly that use case. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this goes back to like the idea of there being no silver bullet and understanding what problem the tool you're using is solving. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. I'm curious, like, so I know that Ember has has had concepts of like components and whatnot as well, but I'm kind of curious, like what has been some of your biggest struggles, you know, actually building something with next um i mean is it like figuring out the data layer and having to like own all that you mentioned firebase and hasura yeah. and all that uh is it auth um like what are what are some of the big struggles that you find when building full stack applications um with with react next however you're building them yeah data i would say it's 100 yeah. percent data i mean the guides don't even tell you anything really about data fetching which is kind of <laughs> absurd like that's just whatever I can it really grinds my gears I guess it's like you know I I understand I just said all this stuff about having the right boundaries and everything but it's like we still got to render data from a back end somewhere right like servers didn't just go away and if you look at the guides you know for how to do data stuff with hooks you find like a link to a blog post and it's like come on guys like let's you know can we get some like I want to just see how you would do this today. Yeah. Like I get that there might not be a first class thing here, but yeah, you know, Ember has Ember Data, which is a separate library. You don't have to use it with Ember, but it's like a it's inspired by Rails and it helps you think about domain modeling and relationships. Yeah. So like if I have a post with many comments, I can each over them and it all works. I can think about how I would build that query when I came to React and I was finding examples or even helping folks and just looking at their code that's where I was coming from. And I would see them doing lots of things like just rendering from JSON. And I knew what yep. the problems were with that and why tools like Ember data existed. And even like the JSON API spec, which is like something that came out of the Ember community as a way to like normalize data going over the wire. I didn't find a lot of people talking about this sort of thing, uh, in the react community. And, um, 
there's like tools like Apollo um, that, you know, are more focused on domain modeling, but yeah. I didn't want to jump to a tool. I wanted to, I wanted to understand how folks were thinking about it or just, yeah, I just, you know, I, I just feel like if you try to make like a, a to do, a, a to do app that like does crud on data, it's going to be, it's going to look very different. So like, that's yeah. one thing for me where like, if you get 10 react experts to make a to do app and they have to crud like to do's, I think it'll look very, very different. Whereas if you oh, ask yeah. them how to do like a toggle or like, um, render something, they're going to be using state and effects in, in the right way. They're going to be thinking about that the same way, but we don't have that same shared vocabulary for data stuff. And I know a lot of the things that the react team is working on right now has to do with data, but I still think it would be valuable if there was more resources around like, okay, given that it is, you know, September, 2020, me, someone who works on react or, you know, has used it a lot. This is how I would do a data fetching thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that really does feel, I think those are the two pains that I feel the most. Right. I mean, especially like when you try to teach react, you know, so many people want to know like, well, how do I do this? Like as a full stack thing, like, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, they, they get into programming or like UI development because they want to build a product, right? Like they have some type of app or like vision for the world that they want to like build. And the answer to that is like not clear. It's like, okay, well, I can teach you React. Um, but like if you actually want to persist in any of this data, um, well, there's 500 ways you could do it. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Like there, I think there should be, I think the tutorial that someone starts with should optimize for like time to first persistence operation. Mm. So like how fast can I get a React app creating a to-do so that such that I can reload the page or open it on my phone <laughs> and see that stinking to-do that I created. Um, and this is where like, well, this is why I'm, I've been so impressed with the next stuff is because it's actually easier than React because if you do data fetching in React, let's say you render the page and then you use an effect and it has an empty bracket, so it only runs once. Yeah. It makes a fetch call to your to-dos. You set some state, and then you render from state, and then you're off to the races. But like you have to understand the effect. You are rendering. Uh, the first render is not going to have data, so those things are going to be undefined. You have to account for that. Um, you know, in Ember, like Ember has this notion built in because the routing, the router is built into the framework of like, I click a link. I load some data and then I render. And that's like a very easy pattern to do. But if you want to do that in React, it's, it's very hard. So you have to understand the use effect stuff. And again, this is where like getting more comfortable with the lower level primitives is yeah. important. But I think it could be like progressively disclosed better. And in Next, you can export an async function, which is very convenient because data fetching is asynchronous. So it's actually <laughs> nice to have like a first class yeah. concept of like, oh, this thing is going to take a while. Okay, here is an async function called get you know, static props and you can say await, oh, which is great. And you can fetch some data and return it. And then you can render your component with that data. So like if you were teaching someone to render a list of to do's from a server, your next component or your next page with that get static props export. And then your react component is going to just be so much easier to explain and understand yeah. than a, a react component with the use effect and all this switching and all this stuff. So, and, and explaining how like to rerun the effect when dependencies change, like, again, 
it's not as capable because you're doing like a one shot fetch on the server, let's say, but still it's, it's, it's like that progressive disclosure of complexity. You want to start with the simple thing and then say, Oh, okay. Now we want to add some interactivity, rich interactivity on the client. Here's where use effect comes in. So I think some of that stuff uh, would be nice to have a more like official response on, and it would like, it would smooth that, that landing curve into react. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's, I mean, admittedly, it is an incredibly sticky problem, especially the way we're trying to solve it, right? Where it's like you have, you know, client and, uh, you know, server rendered stuff and like the rehydration and all that kind of, it's like, it's it's non-trivial the way that I know that everyone wants to solve it. Um, and, but I, I do hope that like sometime soon, I don't know, maybe be like, 2020 or something <laughs> uh, we can <laughs> we can actually tell people like oh hey it's actually really easy to build a full stack application with react now right like we can here's how you fetch and post in like one article um because that would just be really a really really beautiful thing yeah it's definitely definitely a hard problem i mean ember data was basically uh, an attempt to bring active record um from rails to the JavaScript UI world and the fact that it's an asynchronous place <laughs> makes it like yeah. just so, so hard. So then we saw all these different things coming out and Redux and different ways to, you know, MobX, different ways to think about mutating state and fetching data and having a, a global cache that represents the, the data you've already fetched and how to revalidate when things go stale. So it's it's a super, super tough problem. But um, yeah, so, and, and like not even to mention like relationships and all this stuff. Again, I think that I think the next again, the 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 next approach of like doing the stale while revalidate thing is like it's crazy how much complexity that eliminates from some of these solutions I've seen in the past, and I like that it was extracted from their work on their own dashboard. So, I yeah. just think that we have to do more tinkering and experimentation and um, you know, we'll 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 land on good good abstractions uh eventually. <laughs> Yeah, Hopefully sooner yeah. than later. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because as you were as you were saying that, I'm just thinking like, yeah, it's like we, you know, that's just the like the post and fetch part of it, right? That's not like the actual relationships of the data, uh, which is like a totally different, a totally different thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it really is. In some sense, it's a really tough problem. In another sense, I do sometimes think like active record is like just an amazing piece of technology. I mean, it really it is, is the yeah. reason Rails is Rails. And they're basically solving the same problem. They have data in SQL and they're trying to hydrate Ruby objects uh, via select star strings. And they have to <laughs> maintain relational integrity and they can do things where within a request response lifecycle, there's a graph of objects that get hydrated and there are some mutations that happen and they have to check whether it's stale, just like we do uh, in JavaScript. Um, but usually it's more forgiving because the request and response life cycle is so fast that it's all thrown away but there's still mutations that happen within that cycle so you still have to check whether things are stale you have to go back to the database you have to figure out how to turn these weird sql select strings into like a rich (laughs) graph of objects so really if you think about it it's the same thing rails or any server talking to a database is the same thing as a javascript client talking to a backend over http api and the problems that we have to solve of like turning that data into a graph on the client are are a lot of the same ones and um you know so i think we there's still a lot of lessons we could have we could learn from there and i still really love active record and being able to say yeah a user has many posts user.post.create and you're not thinking about (laughs) the sql at all they've managed to 
to abstract away yeah. SQL? Have we managed to abstract away APIs? And then we're not even close. Um, <laughs> you know, so yeah. uh, again, like this is part of it is that we're not working with uh, SQL, which is a standardized query language. Yeah, we get to make our own query language with every single project we build. <laughs> so we make these bespoke APIs, and everyone argues for weeks about. Yeah. What, whether a camel case or underscore their their keys <laughs> so then we have graphql comes out which is solving a good problem and is yeah, scoped GraphQL's and is great. a good boundary that's another example of something you wouldn't think would be a, a good solution to part of this problem because it's like well it still doesn't tell me what to call things but at least it tells me like given the schema here is how yeah. you query it so it is more yeah. standard in that sense but it still leaves a ton of unanswered questions but you know imagine if we didn't need graphical to explore imagine if we had sure. richer you know, data fetching libraries that took care of those details for us. That's the world I want to see. That's the world I believe in. <laughs> yeah. Now you mentioned um, using uh, Hasura. And I, if I remember correctly, it's basically a Postgres database uh, service, but then it has a GraphQL um, endpoint that you can access data through. It's an, it's an open source library that creates an instant real-time GraphQL API on top of a Postgres database. So um, you can run it locally. You can throw it up on Heroku. That's what I've always done. But you create some tables and then it introspects them and then gives you a GraphQL schema that you can use oh, wow. instantly, which is awesome. Um, it's not like the slickest product. It's like if they had like a product person to nail the onboarding experience, I think it would just be dynamite. <laughs> but right now there's a few things to get it going. But I think they just came out with like Hasura Cloud, which is like a hosted version I haven't tried yet. But they okay. have a button. You just click on it and they set you up on Heroku. So that's pretty cool. And yes, that's much closer to what I like. So I did that for like my little recipe side project, created a recipe table. Which is table. super cool, by the way. Lots Thank of you. polish there. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, created some recipes, added some columns, you know, and um, boom, I was off to the races, just, you know, writing GraphQL and graphical and then pasting it right into my React app. So again, getting that full stack experience of creating recipes and seeing them, um, but not ha only having one app, only having my React app and having it have that backend access without having to write server code without having to write specs for my request to make yep. sure the json looks a certain way so that to <laughs> me is much much closer world to, to where we want to be with and then firebase maybe even more so in the sense that you know you don't even think about a lot of the stuff that you have to with with hasura yeah now i know firebase also offers auth as well yeah um, in in the Hasura case, like kind of what what were some what would some of your options be for using auth for like a Hasura based application? Yeah, so Hasura delegates um, authorization. Sorry, authentication and authorization. Authentication is that you are Michael Chan. Authorization <laughs> is that Michael Chan has the authority to, to visit the ninth floor things. and go get the secret files from the FBI closet. So the authentication stuff Hasura delegates out, and so it says give me a JWT um, or give me an endpoint that I can query to check if you have access and I'll forward along the headers that you that came in your request. So they delegate authentication out. And I set that up. I've set that up with a JWT and I've also set it up with like a, a Netlify function that uses okay. Firebase, just Firebase auth. So I, like I created a new Firebase project with just auth because Firebase's auth API is so good. It's like import Firebase, Firebase dot sign in with email and password, boom, <laughs> and that's it. Like that's all you do and it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So once you do that, then you can start making authenticated requests to your Hasura server. 
and it knows that you're authenticated because either it has a JWT or it has an endpoint it can check. But then for authorization, you add that within the Hasura UI to your table. So you can say recipes, um, we have different roles, unauthenticated role is like an anonymous user and they can read all hmm. recipes, but they can't write. And then, you know, there's like a user, a logged in user who can write to their own table or whatever, or their own, you know, recipes that belong to them with their user ID, or, or there's like little checks you can write to do that. So it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. Well, it's really cool that you can separate the services like that, because I think that auth is one of the really nice things about Firebase. And then also Netlify has, you know, their auth system and being able to being able to use those, but then also kind of have more fine-grained control of your data. That's one mm -hmm. thing that's always been kind of weird about Firebase is that it's a product owned by Google and Google doesn't have a great track record. <laughs> that's like the main, I mean, Firebase has been around for like 10 years, I think, right? Sure, At this yeah. point. And they were a startup that was acquired, but you're you're totally right. And that's no matter how many times I try to tell myself, it's like we were saying before, <laughs> like, why don't you just use SwiftUI and do like a hundred times the work that you could using all these other things. And it's like, it's a hard pill to swallow with Firebase where the data format is proprietary, the yep. storage format is proprietary. You can export it, but the one thing I like about Hasura is your data is just in a Postgres database. And yeah, your take React, it anywhere. take it anywhere, and your React app doesn't know it's talking to Hasura. It's just making yeah. GraphQL requests to a GraphQL server that implements a particular uh, API contract. Uh, whereas your React app that talks to Firebase knows it's a Firebase app because you're yeah. importing from Firebase, you're using it. So I like the Hasura approach because I can mock it out easily um, using something like Mirage or anything and just say like, yeah, the React app doesn't know. It's just making H, I mean, HTTP, talk about good abstraction. That's a great abstraction, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter what's on the other side of that. Whereas uh, Firebase does all this cool stuff with WebSockets, but you don't know any of that. So the boundary moves forward in your, in your application. Yeah. Well, this is a lot of good information. This is probably a good place to close, um, but I'd love to give you a chance to tell people real quick about um, uh, Mirage and then kind of also the things that you're, uh, the places that they can find you about the internet. <laughs> cool. Yeah, Mirage is like the main open source project that uh, I work on with, with Ryan and we're closing in on 1.0. It's like an API mocking library and the goal of it is to really help front-end developers with this data stuff because we do feel like this is some of the hardest parts of the whole yeah. process. And so um, Mirage lets you, uh, we actually just had someone work on a really cool GraphQL integration. So like my, this is my ideal workflow. I start a React app, either create React app or next. I add Mirage and I just say, oh, I'm using like Mirage um, um, Hasura. And then I can just start saying, okay, I have a user, I have many comments. And Mirage is basically going to just take that data model and give me that GraphQL API and I can start building my React app. I've never had to leave and actually go set up Hasura, but I'm working against a mocked backend that implements the same contract. And it's unbelievable how fast this workflow is. This is yeah. what we were doing back at TED where we worked and where Mirage came from, where you have this like isolated front-end development environment, but it's super fast because you're not dealing with a separate node process. You're not dealing with a service. You can work offline. You can change the, the responses and tests. And so all of these things that we value, um, that's kind of what that project's all about. So if that sounds interesting, check out Mirage, miragejs.com. 
Nice. Yeah. And I love that too. I've always loved this notion that, you know, you as a front end developer could actually build the application, start tuning all of the interactions and all that kind of stuff, and then just connect it to data later on. Exactly. Um, And like, even at the front of your website, it says like build complete front end features, even if your API doesn't exist. And like, I love that idea. And I think that it's super important for the workflow of React developers to, to like have something that allows them to work with data, not just some like kind of like fake like local storage type of thing <laughs> yeah totally uh totally like it's so cool too when you work on a project that uses mirage you can basically git clone it yarn install and yarn start and you're just working with a whole app and it's yeah. you can do everything and you can share that with a product person like people who've been using mirage for years like heroku's been one of the original users for like six years now because they're in, they use ember and um you know you can just run the front end and you don't you know, think about yeah, all those awesome. nice things that you don't have to think about setting up. Yeah. Think about, you know, just developing a feature on your front end without having to worry. Like if I want to change myself from like a user to an admin or an impersonator, yeah. I can just yeah. uncomment something right in my front end code base and like fast refresh just swaps it out. So it's all that kind of stuff. Um, oh, man, I like I, I mean, like you're, you're talking my language right now because like <laughs> I work in a system and like one of these apps like actually has to communicate to like four different Rails apps. Oh yeah. Right. And they oh, all yeah. have to be booted. And, and if just any for you one to change some CSS, right? Yes. Yeah. It's yes. Ri- that's ridiculous. Yeah. And I have yeah. to like go into the like the database and like flip oh. things on and off. And it's Absurd. like it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and my my computer's just like churning, right? Yeah. Because it's running like eight Rails applications. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Totally. That's uh so yeah, that's that's exactly the problem that uh, Mirage was built to help solve. Um just that beautiful HTTP boundary. If we yeah. can simulate those requests, it's really like a simulator. You know, it's yeah. it's it's higher fidelity than just writing like a little Express app because it has the data stuff and it it helps you do all the things that you would normally need or expect from an API. So there's like really easy ways to replicate most backend functionality like out of the box, and then you can write your own stuff. And then the testing is is cool too. So like, imagine you need to write just a front end test that says this page looks like this when these three services are like this and this one's not. I mean, how would you test that, right? But with Mirage, you can yeah. just say, put it in a different state, write in a test, you know, or say, assume this route will return a 404, make sure an error page shows. So that's that's kind of what Mirage is about. I love that. I love it. Cool. Um, so now where can people find more of your um, kind of like personal work, your journey stuff, you know, via the, the, the podcast, et cetera? Yeah, definitely. So Front End First is our podcast. It, you might find old episodes called the Ember Map Podcast because that's what it used to be called. But as we started talking more about this other stuff broadly, we renamed it to Front End First. So that's over at frontendfirst.fm. And we're also on YouTube as well because we do like videos of ourselves talking. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I've been like kind of spending a lot of my time lately on my personal YouTube channel. That's just youtube.com slash samsalikoff. And I'm, I was trying to make a video a week. I did that for a while and then I took a break, but I'm going to, that's going to be my goal. And I'm going to try to get into like smaller videos so it's more sustainable. And also I think it's just better. Um, yeah, but this last one was like the opposite of that. I was like, (laughs) all right, my next video is going to be under five minutes. Of course, it's like a 27 minute vlog style thing, but (laughs) I was just having some fun with it. Well, I think it's really great because a lot of, uh, programmer content is fairly dry. 
you know, just kind of like, here are the facts. And like, yeah. I'm guilty of the same thing. Like, that's the way that I deliver like content as well. But I'm always struck by the production value of yours because it feels a little bit more like a YouTube style thing where there's a little bit of a narrative. There's some yeah. like, you know, little snippets of your life going on. Yeah, in there. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's really good stuff. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. It's, it's been fun. Yeah. Well, hey, Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been a delight. I'm super pleased that we actually got to meet after yes. all these years of just kind of like, kind of not quite connecting. So this totally. has been great. I know, man. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad you reached out and I can't wait to meet you in person. You know, next time this whole thing winds down, if you ever come to New York, I got some great cocktail bars we can go to <laughs> yes. meet ourselves properly, you know, it'd be a fun time. So <laughs> absolutely. I look forward to it. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. This has been episode 110 of React Podcast with Sam Selikoff and Chantastic. For show notes, visit reactpodcast.com slash 110. Thanks to this week's sponsors, Infinite Red and Imagix. Infinite Red have been designing, building, and shipping quality apps for 10 years and make their expertise and industry connections available to you. Infinite Red will give you $750 to start or refer a new project. Get their expert help by visiting reactpodcast.infinite.red. Unprocessed images kill performance. Imagix helps you deliver sharp, snappy images to customers with powerful image processing and a simple API delivered on a global CDN. Follow the lead of Unsplash, Kickstarter, and Prismic who use Imagix because they know the importance of image optimization to user experience. Get a $300 account credit at imagix.com slash reactpodcast. That's imagix, I-M-G-I-X, dot com slash reactpodcast. If you like this show, there's a fast, free way to demonstrate your support. Leave us a review on iTunes. It's the best way for you to let me know what you think we're doing right and what we can improve. Two to three minutes of your time helps us make the best show we possibly can. As always, links and show notes for all episodes are available at reactpodcast.com. This episode was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson at Spec, a network to help you level up in design and development. Check out spec.fm for other shows that are sure to fast track your career. I'm your friend, Chantastic. Thanks for listening. We'll be in your ears again next week. Thank you.